0: Letter in our series on Paul's letter to the Romans, we're looking at Romans chapter 1 this morning and picking up where we left off last Lord's Day. We have only looked at the very introduction of this great letter. I, I noted last Lord's Day that this is Uh, without any argument, the greatest letter in Scripture. And I'm going to go further, because I'm a man given given to overstatement, I've been told. But I don't think this is overstatement. I think this is the greatest thing ever written in human history. It's not just the greatest part of Scripture. This is the greatest piece of literature ever written in all of human history. And we saw Paul's great introduction last Lord's Day, and we're picking up here in Romans chapter 1, beginning... In verse 8, and we're going to read down to verse 15 this morning, Romans 1, 8 through 15, and as always, that you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open, to be reading along with me here this morning. Now the apostle writing to a church, remember he had never been able to visit, a church he longed to visit, a church in which he knew many of the members but had never been able to physically be present with them, now says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, when I was a very young Christian 22 years ago or so, The Lord seemed to be doing a a great work, a, a sort of a gospel reformation in the lives of many young adults through the ministry of various figures that now form what we call the New Calvinist Movement or the Young Restless Reform Movement. And the Lord really did a great work through the preaching of many of the men that formed that movement, especially here in North America. And yet there was one thing that I remember Various friends sang to me, and, and as they went to different conferences and they went to different events where these many speakers were, there, there was a conversation that we often recurrently had with one another, and that conversation went something like this. You know, I tried to talk to so-and-so, but he seemed very disinterested in talking to me. And there was this recurrent criticism that many of the men who platformed themselves on these big national conferences were themselves wildly unapproachable. So much so that I remember on one occasion someone saying, you know, I I was at this conference and I went down to talk to Alistair Begg and he said I was shocked because Alistair Begg made me feel like I was the only person in the room. And that's so different than the experience I've had with other men who have platformed themselves nationally. Now, why do I tell you that? It's not in any way to cast dispersion on any of the men that formed that. But when we consider the Apostle Paul, who was a global Christian leader, who is the greatest of the Apostles, who is the man God is going to use most powerfully in carrying the gospel to the nations, Paul is also the most warm and approachable of all of those that we see in the Bible. And we really see here... The Apostle Paul opening his heart to a a church he had never been to. It's interesting, Paul doesn't talk about himself a lot in his writings. In fact, he'll tell us in 1 Corinthians 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that was the motto and the example of his ministry. And yet, here Paul will speak about himself 15 times in relationship to the desire he has to be present with this church and to open his heart to them, to bless them with the gifts God had given him and to be blessed by them with the gifts that they could give back to him in turn. You know, it's interesting that in the most theological of letters, in really all of the scripture, Paul starts by opening his pastoral heart for the people. It's remarkable. I want us to see... Four things this morning as we look at these verses. I want us to consider first Paul's prayer of thanksgiving for the graces of God in the gospel. Then I want us to consider Paul's sincerity in wanting to bring more blessing in the gospel. And I want us to consider Paul's longing. And then I want us to consider his expectation, his thanksgiving, his sincerity, his longing And his expectation, well notice Paul starts this off in verse 8, not by writing to them so much as by telling them what he's been praying for them. Paul is giving us an avenue into his prayer life. And as he does in every letter in the New Testament, with the exception of Galatia, because of the problems that they were beset with, Paul starts off, as he commonly does, saying, I thank my God in all my remembrances for you. Now, this is remarkable because we often don't even thank God for one another in one small fellowship as we ought. And yet Paul is thinking about all the believers over the entire Greco-Roman world, in all the major cities, in all of the areas to which God is having him write, and he is thinking about what a monumental work God has done in saving men and women out of the nations, and he is expressing gratitude to God for them. Notice, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, Paul's going to do something very interesting here. He is not thanking them for anything in themselves. He doesn't say, I thank you for believing in Jesus. Don't miss this. Paul doesn't say, I thank you for all the ways that you're diligently doing things. He recognizes that there's something about the character of the faith in Christ that has spread outside of that central capital city of the roman world that that news about them and their faith in the midst of what would have been an exceedingly hostile generation to christianity that as news about their faith went out and their testimony went out paul has heard about it through the other churches and now he says i thank god for you basically because he has given you faith listen to this john calvin Reflecting on Paul's thanksgiving says this, all our blessings are God's free gifts. All of our blessings are God's free gifts. It is needful to be led more fully to rouse ourselves in the duty of acknowledging God as the giver of all our blessings and to stir up others to join us in the same acknowledgement. Calvin says if it is right to do this in the little things, how much more with regard to faith, which is neither a small nor an indiscriminate gift of God. You see, what Paul's teaching them is that, that, that they are the byproduct of what God had graciously done, and so they became objects of Paul's thanksgiving to God for what God had done in them. And that teaches us that when we think about one another, and we think about the graces that God has given each of us, whether it's saving faith in Christ or whether it's those other gifts and graces that he has distributed freely to the saints, that, that what the proper reaction ought to be is to thank God for doing that in us. Because at the end of the day, we can't take anything to ourselves. And this is the same apostle who, who in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Every single thing we have, Um, every single grace that we've experienced in our lives, all based on the free grace of God. And Paul is thanking God as the giver of those free gifts and graces. Now, Paul moves very quickly from thanksgiving to express something of the sincerity of his heart toward these believers in Rome. Notice he says... In verse 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayer, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now, Paul invokes God's name here. That's, by the way, a very dangerous thing to do. I want to I just mention that this morning. It's a very dangerous thing to invoke the name of God. Many people have taken the Lord's name in vain by invoking it, to make themselves to appear to be something that they really aren't. They do it all the time in courtrooms. They do it in churches. The apostle here with the clearest and purest conscience, can say, "God is my witness. Everything I'm about to say to you is, is flowing from a sincere heart." You know, I want to say this this morning. Every man you see in every pulpit, every famous minister and theologian, and we learned this from Rabbi Zacharias most recently, it's just scaffolding. That's all you see is scaffolding. What the man really is, is only known to him and God, it will be revealed. It's just scaffolding. That's all we see. That ought to make us praise men a whole lot less and trust in the Lord a whole lot more, and yet Paul is here showing us the importance of sincerity in gospel ministry, saying God is my witness. God knows. God knows that I am praying for you. The Lord knows that I'm desiring to come to you. He knows that the deepest Desire of my heart is to be with you and to preach God's word to you. This is Paul who could say, There are many men who peddle God's word. Many who pedal God's word. And Paul said, But we from sincerity before God, not before men. What enabled Paul, what enabled Paul to press through all of the unjust criticisms that the false apostles leveled against him? Because if you go and look at the letters to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to address the fact that in that church, in Corinth, there were many that were undermining his ministry and saying he was a phony or his motives were wrong or he was out to just praise himself or make himself great. And Paul says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Um, It's a good litmus test for us to ask when I serve in any capacity, and you know that our theme this year is joyful service. I'm going to do what I told you I'd do anytime we hit that. Joyful service. If, if we're serving in any capacity, it's always good for us to say, what is driving this service? What is the inner desire of my heart? Paul says, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son. The internal sincerity, the, the unhypocriticalness, if I can say that, of the apostle is being set out before these believers. And Paul now moves from thanksgiving and a note of expressing sincerity to his longing. The better part of this is really focusing on his longing notice verse 9 he says without ceasing i mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by god's will i may now at last succeed in coming to you paul was longing to be in rome now why 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 did paul have this longing well there are many reasons number 1 he was a roman citizen number 2 paul understood that this was the center of the known world and and you know the apostle is always going to cities not because he thinks cities are more important than rural areas. They're not. But because he understands that if the gospel is taking root in the cities, in the center places of society, that they will inevitably spread out from there to those rural areas. And, and Paul is longing to be in this church to see what God is doing among these people and to be a further blessing in equipping them and instructing them for their good, for their building up. He wants to see God's work in the central capital of the known world. Um, You know, it's very interesting. You'd miss this if you didn't reflect adequately. Paul says here that he had been hindered time and time again from making it to Rome, and yet we know what Paul didn't know at this point, because if you turn back just a couple pages to the end of Acts, Paul won't end up in Rome, but he won't end up there the way he would probably wish he had ended up there. He would end up there by being carried there as a prisoner. Basically, the Lord is going to honor Paul's longing, but he's going to do it in a way very different than Paul would probably have it, and there's a word there for us. Oftentimes when we are desirous of something. We're desirous of seeing God use us in some way. Our heart cries that the Lord would make us fruitful, that he would, he would use us in ministering to others, that the Lord oftentimes answers those prayers in vastly different ways and gives us those good longings that, that uh, coalesce with his will, but in a way vastly different than we would wish. I had a friend who mentored me 20-some years ago, and he said to me, you know, Nick... I would encourage you to pray that God gives you the grace to humble yourself rather than pray that God humbles you. (laughs) Man, I prayed that prayer a lot. Lord, just give me grace to keep myself humble. Because if you pray that the Lord humbles you, He may have several very difficult ways in which he does that in your life, as many of us have experienced. Paul is praying, longing, desiring to be in Rome. Now, I noted that Paul... Knows people in this church. If you turn over to the end of the book, he, he lists 26 different individuals and, and mentions reference to their families. And Paul was acquainted with many a people because many of these people were coming and going. They were moving through the different cities in Asia Minor. They were moving through the different cities where there were churches that Paul was writing. We know that because one of the first couples that is named at the end of this book is Aquila and Priscilla. And they had met Apollos, you'll remember. But here it seems as though they had a home in Rome, and they had returned. And Paul knew these believers, and he was longing to be with them. He was longing to see what God was doing through them. He wasn't just interested in coming so he would be platformed so that people would look at him and say, wow, what a great preacher Paul is, because he wasn't a great preacher. He tells us that. He didn't come with eloquence of speech. He didn't come with superior rhetoric. But he wanted to see what God was doing through these believers. His longing was for that mutual benefit one to another. You know, it's very interesting that Paul tells them this. Notice this in verse 11. He says, I long to see you. And Paul wanted to see them in the flesh. By the way, one of the great weaknesses with Churches in our day that stream pastors in through some video screen is that there's no real presence between pastors and people. Paul is teaching us that there is a spiritual blessing to be had between pastor and people. He says, I long to see you. I long to be present with you. And notice what he says. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul understands that the Lord had given him great gifts and graces, and he understood that through the preaching of God's word and the depths to which, and we see these, don't we? He writes them this letter. He gives them this letter. We see how Paul can benefit them. He can write the letter to the Romans to them, and he can show them all the contours of the deepest theology in the scriptures, the greatest Exhibition of systematic theology that is anywhere in the pages of God's word, but what he's saying is there is more there There are more depths to see and there is there is more that I am longing to impart to you through the ministry God has given me so that you will be the beneficiaries you see it's never about Paul Don't miss this. It is never about the Apostle Paul. It is always about him seeking to build people up in Christ It's always about him wanting to take the people down deeper, to root them more firmly in the Lord Jesus. And this is Paul that's going to say, as I noted, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's Paul that's going to say, no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Christ. I mean, we can't read one letter that Paul has written without seeing how Christ saturated every single thing he writes is. Uh, Ian Hamilton has said Paul was a one-thing man. He was a one-thing man, but he understood there were depths to the Lord Jesus, and he understands that there is a blessing through the gift that God had given him that would result in them being strengthened. And then notice this. This is fascinating. The longing of the apostle is not just that he would come and be useful, Notice what he says in verse 12. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What is Paul saying here? The apostle is teaching us that there is not one single believer, no matter how young they are in the faith, no matter how simple they may be as an individual, from whom we cannot mutually benefit. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I long to bless you, but I long to be encouraged by you. I long to receive benefit from you. See, Paul had a very healthy, in the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, Paul had a very healthy doctrine of the priesthood of all believers here. He's saying, I may come with the blessing based on the gifts God has given me to strengthen you, but I need to be strengthened by you. I need to be edified by you. I need your encouragement. I need your love. I need your affection. I need spiritual conversation with you. Um, Listen to this, John Calvin. Let me say this. If anybody could have denied the priesthood of all believers, it would have been Calvin because he was so popular and so influential, so important in his day. But notice this. Calvin says, There is no one so void of gifts in the church who is not able to contribute something to our benefit. But... We are hindered by our envy, by our pride, from gathering such fruit from one another. Why don't we benefit more from one another? Because we are hindered, Calvin says so often, by our envy or our pride. Listen to this. He says, Such is our high mindedness, such is the intoxication produced by vain reputation, that despising and disregarding others, everyone thinks he possesses what is abundantly sufficient in himself but not the Apostle Paul. The great Apostle knows that he needs these believers. He's never met in person so that there would be mutual encouragement by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I want us to consider not just the thanksgiving or the sincere motivation or the longing of the Apostle's heart. I want you to see his expectation. Notice this. He says, I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. You see, Paul doesn't know how he's going to make it to Rome. He doesn't know what God's going to do. He doesn't know if the Lord's going to answer his prayer right now or later, but notice what Paul says. He's got this expectation. I've intended to come to you. God has prevented me, but I want to be there because I expect some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Remember we said last Lord's Day that no matter how dark, said this last Sunday night, no matter how dark the culture is, we should have the strongest confidence that God is advancing his word, that the gospel is going to bear fruit, that there's going to be a harvest even in the midst of dark times. The apostle was driven by this. He knew there's always more people that need the gospel. There's always more work to do. There's always more fruit to be born. Paul's willing to go through all that he does and suffer all that he does for the sake of the gospel because of that expectation. And notice this, that expectation is rooted in a sense of his obligation. Notice what he says. In verse 14, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians. You know, if you took away every minister's salary, please don't take mine away, (laughs) but if you took away every minister's salary, you would find out very quickly who felt like they were under obligation to preach the gospel and who didn't. This is why Paul said, lest it be said that I'm only out for money, he wanted to preach the gospel free of charge. Now, that's not the ordinary course in scripture or in church history, but the apostle was a man who was under obligation. He felt constrained. He felt constrained to preach to everybody. Notice this obligation. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish, To the rich and the poor, to the intellectual and the unintellectual, to the wise and the foolish, to everyone. Notice he says in verse 15, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I want to say this as we consider the expectation here. It's very interesting. Paul is writing to a church that knows the gospel, they've already heard it, they've received the message of Christ crucified and risen. They have trusted in Jesus, and Paul says the gospel is not just for those that don't know Christ out there. The gospel is for you as believers, too. He says, I I long to be able to preach the gospel to those in the church, just like I do outside, because my expectation is that God is blessing his people as the gospel is fully and faithfully proclaimed. you know before we get into all the theology of this book it does us good to just settle here and to meditate on what the apostle's saying you know we are to be a people who like paul who are giving god thanks for other believers where there is saving faith and where is the evidence of that faith we're a people who are to be praying For other believers in other churches. We're to be praying for other churches. That's one of the reasons why we pray for our sister churches and area churches and why we pray for missionaries and why we pray for churches in other parts of the world. We're to be praying collectively for other believers. And as Paul has taught us, we are to be examining our hearts. We have to ask ourselves, what is the motive of my heart? In any Christian service, in any ministry, am I sincere Am I sincerely seeking to bless others out of a desire to see God glorified and them bear fruit? Or am I doing this to platform myself, to be seen, to be heard? This is is why the Lord Jesus says, when you pray, go into your closet. Um, The Lord who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then we are to ask ourselves, what is our longing? Is our longing to pour ourselves out? To see the gospel advance and to have mutual fellowship with all other believers, whether they are pastors or whether they are congregants. Our desire is is it to bless each other, to build each other up, to mutually encourage each other. And then finally, the apostle tells us that we are to have that expectation that God is at work and the gospel is going to triumph. Um... I want to encourage you this morning with those things. As you think of this, as you assess your own prayers, your own heart motivations, your own longings, your own expectations, that we would say, Lord, would you bring these things into line with what the apostle is setting out here for us by way of example? Lord, if in any of these things I am deficient, and we are all deficient, Would you bring these things into line, that our hearts might reflect what he is opening his heart to reflect, that that would be the tone and tenor of our Christian lives, and that we would be able to say that we serve God in our spirits, in the gospel of his Son. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the work that you did in raising up the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the way in which you had him open his heart at the beginning of this letter to reveal those things that ought to be characteristic of all your people. Our God, we pray that you would make them characteristic of us. Would you make us a people who are thankful always for all the saints Lord, would you make us a people who are sincere in our motivation to serve you and to serve others? Would you give us a longing to give ourselves fully to the work of gospel ministry and service and mutual edification among your people? And we pray, our God, that you would give us the same expectation as Paul, that there would be fruit, that the gospel would spread, and that your work would be accomplished as we enter in on it with that expectation and obligation. Lord, where we are deficient, have mercy on us, forgive us, change us. We pray as we come to the table that you would focus us on the Lord Jesus. And so we pray, our God, that you would prepare us now, and we pray these things in his name. Amen.